0: What's it like to go on tour and hire a different backing band for every city you play? We're going to get into that and lots more on today's episode of Music Therapy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker. I'm a musician based here in Chicago, Illinois, and I'm also a licensed clinical professional counselor. Music Therapy is a mental health podcast for musicians and music bands. Visit musictherapypodcast.com for previous episodes and upcoming events. Um, we have a show coming up. We have a group session coming up in October. That's going to be uh, October 12th. That's a Wednesday night at Cafe Mustache with Chicago band Asi Asi. I'm so excited to have them on. That's October 12th, Wednesday night at Cafe Mustache. Um, my band is also playing a show in October at Sleeping Village. We are opening for Vanishing Twin, and that's going to be on Wednesday night, October 5th. So um, there's your first couple Wednesdays in October right there. I hope you guys will come out and join us for one or both of those shows. Today I'm talking with artist Lizzie No. Lizzie No is a singer-songwriter, harpist, and guitarist from Brooklyn, New York. She also guest hosts the Basic Folk podcast on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. Her new single, Sweeter Than Strict is out now on Coal Mine Records. We're going to listen to that single and another one um, in our conversation. And uh, Lizzie is fabulous. I played a show with her at the hideout a few weeks ago. Her music is amazing. She is so charming. She has the best banter. But even more importantly... She's a fantastic musician, and she dips into a lot of genres, um, and she plays harp, and she's just very talented and uh, thoughtful about her music career, and we get into all of that today. So here's my conversation with Lizzie No, I hope you enjoy. Lizzie, thank you so much for being on the Music Therapy Podcast with me today.
1: Thank you for having me, Jessica. It's good to talk with you again so soon. Yeah, we just played a show together in Chicago. It was a dream. I'd never been to The Hideout before. And it's such a great venue. And your set was so mesmerizing. All of my friends that came were like, who is she? I felt like I was in a trance. It was awesome.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, your (laughs) set was amazing too. Thank you. Yeah, The Hideout is definitely a favorite venue in Chicago. So I'm glad you... Have you come through Chicago very often?
1: I have. I mean, first, I- not that much until this past year, and mm-hmm. then I've, I've been. To- I think I've played Chicago three or four times this year. Oh wow! After like almost never playing there. Okay. Um, I just ended up on a couple of support tours that like got me going through Chicago a few times.
0: Okay. Um. Well, let me start off before we go too far. I always start with this question, and the okay. uh, the spirit of this question is to give people a peek at the life of a musician. So can you please describe what a typical week looks like for you these days?
1: Okay. My typical week, this may not be typical of all musicians, but I feel like each of us has like such an idiosyncratic schedule of side hustles and family and life. So this is mine. Monday, Tuesday, and Friday, my boyfriend's kids are with us. They're with us half the week. So it's, and I have a puppy. So I'm like waking up at 8 a.m., walking the puppy. Usually I try to work out. Cereal for all, yogurt for all. Then I end up being on social media. I'm like, I have new music out. So, and I have a lot of shows coming up. So promoting everything on social media ends up taking like a good amount of my morning because you got to hit those 9 through 11 a.m. High points for the algorithm. Uh Um, And I'm hanging out with the kids and like wanting to get quality time with them and make sure they're not just like on the iPad all day. And then I'm often like reading, writing in the afternoon, or doing things for my podcast, um, which is Basic Folk. It involves a lot of like research and coordinating with the artists. And then there's a lot of just like random little pebbles of things that are sprinkled throughout the week. Like I'll have to go to the post office to mail merch orders when people buy my merch. I'll be talking with my management about upcoming tours. Mm-hmm. This these, thing, these things all sound so little as I'm saying them out loud. But like right now I, I decided to jump on a short tour with some friends of mine, Paisley Fields and Molly Obamsawin. And so it means like, Okay, I have to coordinate driving and hotels. What set list am I gonna play? Am I gonna hire musicians in those cities? Like uh-huh. who do I know in those towns that I can stay with? So it's like you're you'll be like in the middle of a regular, somewhat boring week, and then suddenly you're planning a whirlwind road trip and practicing. And then like later this week I have a big full band show that I'm gonna try to incorporate electric guitar in. So I'm practicing guitar and making sure I like know what I'm doing between the acoustic and the electric, so it's like a mix of like actual music, mm-hmm. planning ahead, and then like being present, walking my dog, being with my family, trying to stay sane.
0: That was great. Thank you for <laughs> yeah. It's it's a lot of coordinate coordinating things. I'm curious how that looks and feels for you and your family. You know, when you go on when you go on the road and you play mm-hmm. a lot of shows and you're out on a lot of tours. How does that feel for you guys as a unit?
1: It's getting a little bit easier. I think it's it's one of the hardest things ever because I really like being home. And that hasn't always been the case, you know, like I've lived in a million different chaotic roommate situations, mm-hmm. some that were good, some were bad, and now I have like a routine and like people that keep me grounded. Uh-huh. And so being away for weeks at a time just totally throws off that routine. And what's hard on me is feeling like I'm adrift and wanting to check in, but also wanting to be present for my work. Mm-hmm. And what's hard for my partner Cole is suddenly he is like on his own, you know working full time with the kids and and then we're just like trying to catch each other on the phone in different time zones and have that balance of like filling each other in on all the chaos that's going on with mm-hmm. each of us versus like, how are you doing you know and making sure we're still connecting while I'm away so I think it's like, it's not an exact science and we definitely don't have it down perfectly, mm-hmm. but it's getting there. And I think one of the coolest things that I got to do recently was bring Cole and the kids on a travel date with me to Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. Um, I got to open for Allison Russell in Pittsburgh and Cole's a great guitar player. And occasionally I get to convince him to play with me. Uh-huh. Um, so he was playing he was playing electric guitar. I was playing acoustic and harp. And we, we dragged the kids and the puppy in the car to Pittsburgh. And they got to be backstage and meet Allison and actually just see what goes into it. Yeah. Because I think something that's really wild for them is that like when they see me, I'm at home. And I'm in my often in like my recovery mode. Like mm-hmm. I'm napping, I'm doing a ton of laundry. I'm just like making school lunches and like hanging with them. Mm-hmm. But then I leave and I have this whole other life. So I think it was one of the first times that they saw like... This is what this job is. Uh This is what's fun about it. This is what's hard about it. It's a lot of driving. It's a lot of waiting around. And then it's like super, super fun and uh, spontaneous.
0: After that trip, were they ready to go home? Were they ready to go on another road trip with you?
1: I asked them what they thought. They said they liked being on tour, but they all, I mean, they all have like musical interests, but Quincy, the middle one. who's 10, out of the blue over breakfast the other day, she was like, if I grow up and become a musician, I think I'll just go on tour maybe once. Maybe just pick one city to go to. (laughs) What was that feeling about? I think she just realizes how exhausting it is to be on the road. Yeah. And she's always had this uh, knack for like production and sounds and wanting to learn about recording. Mm -hmm. And so I think her strategy, she once said, I want to be a home musician, not a car musician. And I was like, yeah, but I love your plan. Have a studio. Don't go
0: on the road. <laughs> That's, you know, it's interesting. I've had several guests on the podcast whose parents were professional musicians and mm-hmm. their music goals. I'm going to generalize a little bit here, but they tend to feel really different than people who whose parents yeah. were not professional musicians because they've seen... The hustle and they've seen what it looks like and mm-hmm. they are more connected with the the nitty gritty yes. of it all. Yeah,
1: and there's, I mean, you just have such a different perspective, like, just to, your side stage at the show, which is cool, but then often like, like the oldest, Cole's oldest, I make him do merch for me sometimes, uh-huh. <laughs> and he's like totally cheerful about it, but it's like, you're not going to have a romanticized idea about being a touring musician if like since the age of 10, you've been standing around selling the CDs and like on the
0: long car trips. Right. And all the waiting, yeah. all the yeah. waiting. Luckily. You like rush and
1: rush and rush to make sure you're on time. Uh-huh. And then you like, then you wait. <laughs> and then you wait.
0: Totally. I'm, I'm also curious about what it feels like to go on tour and hire session musicians in different cities. How does that mm-hmm. how does that work and feel? How do you get them up to speed? So it's a mixed
1: bag. I It's really hard for me to accept that that's what music is. Like when I started playing, I thought I was going to be like a band. And that's how I actually started. Like before I went solo, I was in a duo. And so my idea of playing with a band was like, you have a deep friendship. And you live in the same city and you preferably live near each other and you Mm -hmm. practice all the time and hang out all the time. And then you go on the road together and you come home together, you know, like, and then I guess people have their time off. But with people's schedules being what they are, that's not feasible. And like, I'm realizing as the years go by, it's actually great to have the opportunity to work with a variety of different people. So, and COVID changed all that as well because I, by 2019, I had a decently consistent group of like three to five musicians that I would generally tour with. And then they all had to move out of New York during COVID. Mm. Um, So I was kind of back to square one and ended up doing a lot of solo touring. Now that I'm back on the road and like have the means to hire people, it's really like a matter of putting your trust in your network because there are a lot of times when I either can't afford to bring, to fly someone out for a gig, Mm -hmm. or it just doesn't make sense schedule wise. So I need to hire someone local, like Mm -hmm. you mentioned. And so I call whoever I know in that city, like, okay, do you know a bass player? Do you know a guitarist? Um, And so you you just have to like trust that those people are going to give you good recommendations and then, you know, scope the person out, listen to the, to videos or other recordings that they've been on and then send them the set list and like, hopefully have time for some thorough rehearsal. Uh Um, But oftentimes, I'll actually send you a video. This was so funny. I had a festival gig in Canada last month or two months ago. And the guitar player was my boyfriend, Cole. So we went together. The drummer was an old friend of mine who lives in Indiana, Nick Rapley. So I was flying him up. He knows a lot of my music and produced my last record. So I, I felt really solid about his preparation, but Mm -hmm. I also haven't seen him. Like we haven't played together in three years since COVID. And then I, um, I hired a bass player who I'd never met, but who came highly recommended out of Nashville, um, Chansey. So people were flying in from three different cities. Uh And then when we got to the festival, we had a few hours before our set and no studio. So like And the drums were backlined, which for, for folks that are not musicians means like we didn't bring all of our own stuff. Like they provided the amps, they provided the drums. So we were just like practicing in a hotel room, like basically a group of people that never met before. The drummer was like using drumsticks on a hotel room pillow Uh and nobody was amped. So so like, so I, um, so I was pretty much the only person that could be heard. I was just like playing my acoustic guitar. And then I was like, I can't hear you guys, but it, Sort of seems like you have the right notes and we're just gonna go with it. So, like, that was our amount of preparation. And, like, I'm someone that has a lot of fear and anxiety about, like, letting people down, messing up, you know, embarrassing myself Mm -hmm. in professional settings. So, like, I'm going in with all of these fears, all of these, like, expectations on myself, of like, if you're gonna hire people and, like, fly to another country to play a show, like, you have to do a good job. So, it just means that the whole experience. Is like on this sort of high adrenaline level. Sure. And then when it goes well, it's super exhilarating. And I've I've luckily I'm not super perfectionist about like, oh, there was a wrong note. Like what I really care about is everyone like feeling the songs mm-hmm. and like being in the moment. But yeah, I'm lucky to be able to work with people who pretty much like know the deal, know about like learning music at the last minute and like just being ready to roll. <laughs>
0: Is that getting any easier for you when you're you know you're going in and sometimes you may not even have a chance to properly rehearse? Yeah, I can, I can definitely feel that that would be a little nerve-wracking, like how is this going to go? Even though I trust in your guys' abilities, is that getting mm-hmm. any easier the more that you operate this way? I think I'm just getting better. I'm getting better as
1: a band leader. It's, it doesn't come naturally to me. Because I work independently, I guess that's why I'm a solo artist. Like I, I write the songs. I know my process, and I know what I need. Mm-hmm. And at least when it comes to writing songs, I don't. I don't really seek other people's input. Like I'll, I listen to a lot of music, and I like will say like, oh, that's a strategy that I want to mm-hmm. start to use. Like, oh, that's something that I admire. But I'm not like big on having someone else critique me or give me advice Mm -hmm. and so by the same token I haven't always been the best at giving feedback and so I'm learning how to let people know like okay that was almost right and here's what you need to fix or like okay that we tried it that way now let's try it a different way and like giving specific feedback so that people can quickly pick up on what I'm trying to achieve like that has taken me years to figure out how to do.
0: I'm connecting this with the episode we just put out today actually with Molly Mann of Uma Blue and she was she actually Ooh, nice. put a album out played a release show and then immediately after that immediately after that left her band uh because she was like that was <laughs> essentially too much you mm-hmm. know it was not only making the music but it was managing everything managing everybody and trying not to hurt people's feelings but also trying to get them to do what I want them to do and how I want the music to sound. Um, and I'm just wondering if that, you know, what, what has felt in that role as a leader, what has felt specifically challenging for you? That is a really good
1: question. I'm glad you told that story because I feel like that puts it in context, especially as a female musician, I have very much struggled with the likability thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know what? It's not just likability. I do think that there's actually so much. There's so much socialization that's in our language, Um, and you know, this goes from like the very silly to the very serious. Um, Women are expected to ask more questions, listen more, not assert as much, Mm -hmm. up talk, um, qualify our requests Mm -hmm. with language like if it's okay or if that works for you or otherwise it's no problem or like I was just thinking. And a lot of people don't even, people don't consciously want that. You know, most of us don't, wouldn't say out loud, oh, my values are that I think women should be nicer than men. Like that's not, but subconsciously we've all been socialized to expect it. And so I have found that as I become more direct, with how I communicate when it comes to my business and my music, it can really throw people off. Not even because they don't like me, but just because I think sometimes people are like, is she mad at me? And I'm really not. I'm just like, that was okay, but I need you to do this, Uh which is like, to me, the most efficient way to communicate. Right. But then I get this anxiety when sometimes I see the looks on people's faces like, oh my gosh. Like and I'm realizing I'm not coming across how I want to come across, and so I'm stuck at this crossroads where I want to be direct and I want to be efficient in my language and I and I don't want to over explain things and you know sugarcoat things because I feel like that's a waste of time and it waters down the creativity mm-hmm. but at the same time, you have to make people feel comfortable before you can really um, go there without it seeming you know dictatorial. <laughs>
0: Absolutely yeah, it's a very delicate dance. I was yeah. also thinking about the language how women will throw in a lot of sorries. yes you know, where mm-hmm. there's, you really don't need to apologize for whatever just happened oh. or, uh, but yeah it's it's you want you want people to continue to play with you I'm curious um you were talking about you might change your language or shape your language to be more direct more efficient and mm-hmm. seeing the look on people's faces Is there, is that across the board? Is that more men or women who maybe have these expectations? Or how does that (sighs) feel? That's a good question. I mean, it
1: is interesting because I feel like it's a variety. Like, I couldn't, I don't think I could easily be like, okay, these are the people that have these expectations. I feel like we, like people of a lot of backgrounds and genders, like, uh, sort of can be thrown in that way. And so, I don't know. This leads to, this is sort of like a stony baloney point, but I always struggle with um, conversation. And that's kind of, I think that's why I'm a songwriter, because like what we're talking about now is just like one example of the many ways in which our language is political and um, really subjective. Mm -hmm. And like, I might, we might say the same word, but we have totally different connotations of it. And so when you're, when you're the type of person and you work in the type of field where you're collaborating with people from all different backgrounds, um, places in the world, genders, you know, belief systems, like you end up having to figure out how to translate your intention um, to their uh, context. Mm-hmm. you know like and and gender is just like one of the right. just like one of the millions of factors that could influence how someone is receiving you um so yeah i think yeah it's just i don't remember what your actual question was but it just i i've always found that like songwriting is comforting for me because i don't need to explain myself and i'm the only one with the microphone so like I'm just telling a story and I can say it how I want to say it mm-hmm. and I'm I'm sure you know my music gets misinterpreted but like I'm I'm able to accept that in a different way that I'm n- than I'm not able to accept
0: it in conversation. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Let's take a little music break right here. Can oh, please. You, can we talk about this? Is your new single, Sweeter Than Strict Can you tell us about this song?
1: Yes. So, my dear friend Ben Pirani um, is the band leader of a really, really cool, like, soul, jazz, pop, experimental band um, called Ben Pirani and the Means of Production. And he wrote these, like, really cool, kind of crunchy, 60s style lounge singer songs Mm -hmm. i know that's like not a nice way to say it but like that's how i picture it i heard i heard these songs and i was like i can hear like the female bond villain singing these songs Uh in like a smoke-filled underground bar and i just fell in love with the songs and he had actually had another singer try them out um he was having like a few different singers like try to sing the vocal Uh that he had written and i was like let me come in and try it and so we just had like this was last summer, 2021, and I just it, it came so quickly and we had such a great such a great flow in the studio and he orchestrated it for strings and it just became this beautiful like soulful record and we just put it out on 45. Let's take a listen.
2: Sounds <laughs>
0: Great song. Am I right? Wow, it was amazing. <laughs> well, you know, it it is. I really love the sound of it. It's not what I would expect from a folk singer. I like that there's, yes. you know, you're showing this range of musical style.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm kind of tickled by it because it's they're not the types of songs that I would write, but I wanted to sing them just like myself. Like, I think at first in the studio, we were kind of thinking, like, who are our references? You know, who are some, like... Girl groups or singers that I would try to emulate. And then I was like, I think I just can only sing like myself. Let me do that and see how that goes.
0: (laughs) Let me, let's, let's turn to, I'm gonna reference, you know, something that you spoke to when you were talking about your typical week. And that is Mm -hmm. spending some time in the morning on social media to promote your stuff. You've got a lot of, you've got music coming out, you've got lots of shows that you're playing, and you know. I'm curious about your relationship with social media. How does that feel to you?
1: It's tricky. It's really tricky. Um, it's it's a, it's a strange beast because it really does respond to your input. That's the crazy thing about social media, particularly Instagram, which is all about images. Um, the more you look at a certain type of image, the more it gets served to you. So sometimes, like, I'll kind of have to check myself and realize, like, okay, you're kind of in the bad self-esteem place and spending too much time with this when I see a lot of, like, celebrity gossip coming up or, like, um, fitness stuff or, like, I can tell, like, I'm feeling self-conscious about myself when I'm getting served, you know, the Kardashians because that means that I've been looking at too many things that are making me feel bad about myself.
0: (laughs) Yeah. that is crazy. So it's like this sort of mirror. Yeah, of it's like thoughts. a horrible
1: <laughs> diagnostic. But it's, yeah, it's like that. But it also, it's not just a mirror because it like, it keeps bringing you back in yeah, by giving yeah. you more and more tailored yes. things. And th- So that's like the viewing side of it. And yeah. then the posting side of it, um, it took me a number of years to accept that like, being a presence and a consistent presence on social media was the cost of doing business. If I wanted to make my records like independently and have people like come to my shows, you know, Mm -hmm. like without, I think there are people that were able to like, there are people working now that were able to like gain success early enough that they like already had a fan base Mm -hmm. and they don't really have to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Bruce Springsteen doesn't need to be on Instagram promoting his shows, you know? Right. Um, But like, if you're coming up now, it's like, it's hard. There are ways, but it's hard. It's hard to get the word out without being on social media. Yeah. And unfortunately I've noticed that it's not enough to just, you know, once a month when you have an event, go on, share something, dip out. Like when it comes to Instagram in particular, you have to be posting every day, posting stories, commenting on other people's content to notice like an uptick in your following. So what do we do with that? Because that's not my that's not what I got into this for. Mm-hmm. But it takes time. It really does take time. And you have to think about what you're posting, what you're sharing, um, trying to vary the types of content that you share so that it gets engagement. Like this is like this could be its own job. but it's also, it's bad for my brain. Like I understand that it's part of the job and it's bad for my brain and it feeds into my like fragile ego because the more feedback I get, the more likes, the more comments, like temporarily at least, like the more I feel like I'm doing something right. And so it creates a feedback loop where I have to keep coming back for more. I have like a lot of my close friends are not on social media because I feel like they've really cracked the code and they've realized like, this is not good for me. I shouldn't be on here and it's not doing anything for my spirit. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite there because I do think that I've, I've made connections with a lot of people, especially other musicians that I wouldn't have met otherwise. Mm -hmm. So that aspect is actually really cool and fulfilling and like a unique thing about this time that we live in. But it's pretty hard to self-regulate and know yourself well enough to know, okay, right now I'm working, I'm posting and I'm engaging and I'm networking. Okay. Now I've switched over to like, you know, self-flagellating by looking at other people's lives that I wish I was living. Like Mm -hmm. that's what that's switched from like, this is something productive I'm doing for my career into like, this is something kind of harmful or at the very least not helpful a really fine line and it's it's hard to draw for yourself.
0: You talked about, you know having these sort of signifiers that maybe you're not feeling great about yourself when you're getting mm-hmm. shown more like Kardashian material yeah or whatever. whatever. <laughs> um, and I'm wondering how you feel, you know, a lot of people on the show talk about comparing themselves to other musicians and I wonder, how you feel if, if that's something that brings, brings stuff up for you at all.
1: It absolutely does. I think it's I think I've actually grown in that area a lot over the past year because this new release, Sweeter Than Strict Nine, is my first time working with a label. And I'm I'm hoping to work with the label on my next full length album as well. And so, you know, I've brought on a new new team, great management. I have an agent. I feel like more connected, right? Like I feel like I have more infrastructure around me. Mm -hmm. And so it has sort of demystified what it takes to like get those opportunities. Uh It's not that things are necessarily getting super easy. It's just like there's a little more transparency because I have more people on my team that are like telling me like, here's the steps that we're taking to get you booked on X Festival, to get you you know, get your music in front of so-and-so. Like it's not, nothing's guaranteed, but at least I sort of know what's going on. Right. In the past, it's always just been like, okay, I see people getting signed. I see people on these tours. I see people on these festivals and I just have no clue how they got there. How do they do that? And it feels like they just have some luck that I don't have. Right. And unfortunately that's kind of true. A lot of it just comes down to luck and who you know and. I'm sure that's true for me. If I'm thinking that thought about other people, I'm sure other people are thinking that about me. Like, Uh oh, does she deserve X, Y, Z? You know, it's so easy to like look at what somebody else has and feel totally mystified um, and feel like self conscious about like, is there a big secret that I don't know about how to be successful in music? And I think the other side of that is like injustice because I have seen so very many men get opportunities or be like, oh yeah, that label just took a chance on me. Yeah, I've not ever heard a woman <laughs> have uh-huh. a chance taken on her, especially like women of color. Like you have to be such a sure thing. You have to be so organized, self-motivated. You have to prove yourself over and over and over before you'll get that chance. Yeah. Um, and that's true across the board of the music industry. Like, I'm not saying men have it easy. I just mean that. Sometimes they have it easier, yes. um, And like, and so it's so you can start to get really in your head and feel like I'm doing all this work. I'm I'm independent. I'm I'm putting out my own music. Is it for nothing? You know, like, is it is it, is anyone ever going to hear it? Mm-hmm. I felt like that for years. I don't feel like that now, but I do still feel like there are structural issues in the way that make this already murky, confusing, luck of the draw industry, like worse for women and especially women of color. <laughs> so that can make you really paranoid and 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 really just worry like, oh am I ever gonna get that that chance to climb the ladder?
0: How have you, you know, you you've been doing this for a long time mm-hmm. and Coming up on those, those realities, coming up on those thoughts and those feelings, how have you persevered? How have you kept yourself going? The truth is that sometimes I haven't.
1: I was, I was once on a tour with my friend Caroline Reese, who is an amazing songwriter who actually quit music to become a full-time rancher and shepherd. Uh-huh. In Montana. And I was complaining to her about like this stuff, right? Like I'm working so hard. It's so hard to make money. And these days, you know, the streaming, all, you know, I'm feeling so discouraged. I'm working a day job. It's like, and she, and I was like, I think I just want to quit. And she was like, okay, quit, quit and start again tomorrow <laughs> uh-huh. and then quit again. Like, and, and she gave me this perspective that like, you can quit and then, and then try again just give yourself a break because this is not the type of job where anyone is going to let you know that you need to take a break for your health.
2: Oh yeah.
1: Until you hit a crisis point. Like it's not like a job that has weekends or like paid time off. You have to demand it for yourself. And I've had times where like, I didn't do that for myself And it showed in my health. And I think it showed in my work. Like, I think I'm pretty consistent in being able to at least show up and do the job. But like when I'm joyful and rested and taking care of myself and being taken care of, Mm -hmm. it's so much better and it flows so much more effortlessly. Mm
0: -hmm. How do you know for yourself that it's time to take a break? What are the signs? I think when I'm doing the comparison
1: game frequently, I okay. think those thoughts come up naturally for everybody. But when I'm spending more of my time thinking about what other people have and you know what I need to be doing on social media and how people perceive me, like that external stuff, when I'm thinking more about that than like the music and the work and the people that I collaborate with,
2: mm.
0: um,
1: then I know I need at least a reset.
0: You're really kind of watching where your attention is.
1: Mm-hmm. And also my energy. Like I have a diagnosis of major depressive disorder. Mm -hmm. And so fatigue is one of my main um, indicators of my mental and physical health. And there are times where I just feel so exhausted and like on edge. And I think a lot of people that have, that that struggle with depression know that feeling. That's sort of like your mind saying like bad weather is coming. Mm -hmm. The air gets kind of tense. You feel... More tired, you have a short fuse, maybe your eating routine is off, exercise mm-hmm. routine is off. Like those basic markers of like health start to go mm-hmm. when I'm about to like really be going through it with my depression. And I have to pay close attention to that so I don't like keep pushing myself beyond it.
0: How do you manage that um, in general, but especially when you're on the road? Because you know, you're you're kind of pointing to how important just self-care is, whether that's good Mm -hmm. sleep or good eating habits and just feeling rested. And being on the road really can be very challenging for good self-care. How do you manage having this diagnosis and combining it with the challenges that this, this career brings?
1: Oh, it's so hard. I kind of think about myself on the road as a sim, like the the video game Uh Uh where like you're, you probably will not be able to get all of your little diamonds all the way to the top, Uh you know, like maybe you have like a bucket for, you know, healthy food Uh and then one for sleep, one for exercise, one for like alone time and just like mental rest Mm -hmm. and one for maybe like connection, like talking to my boyfriend, talking to friends like feeling like I've got to spend gotten to spend time quality time with someone like I feel like those are my main those are my main buckets of mm-hmm. well-being and on the road it's almost impossible to have all of them full yeah but without at least a little bit in each one or a lot in one you know you have to have some you have to have some way of filling up your buckets so like, Sometimes I'll go a long time where I'm on the road and I'm in places where it's not possible to get salad mm-hmm. or healthy food. Like it's just fast food. Um, I know that's going to deplete my sense of well being. So I need to like over index on, you know, sleep and connection, you know, or I'll start to feel myself getting socially overwhelmed with just like having to talk to people and being out of my comfort zone. And so I know that I need to take a walk because I need to like kind of refill up that, you know, mental rest bucket. (laughs) And so it's like, it's hard because sometimes you have to accept that one or two of the buckets are just going to be dry for a bit. It's often the food thing and the sleep thing. But like, then when I see an opportunity to grab one of those things, I'm shameless. Like, oh, there's an hour off. I'm taking a nap. Goodbye. Goodbye. Uh Or I'm taking a nap in the green room in front of everyone sweatshirt over my face. Like, I think a lot of the things that we kind of don't do as adults because it's not socially cute. Mm -hmm. I just have no more shame about. Or like I might be in the middle of a meeting or doing something, but I need to be eating salad because I'm, I haven't had a vegetable in days. And like, this is my chance
0: (laughs) Yes. I, I like really love this visualization of the buckets. Mm-hmm. I, I almost think yeah. needs to make an app for touring, touring bands where you can kind of yes. let each other know where you're at yeah. and let yourself a good know. eight
1: hours of sleep with no alcohol with no, is yeah. it feel actually goes to all the buckets. Like <laughs> sure. good sleep helps all of the buckets.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a challenge in itself. Substances. I don't know if that's something we, we you know, we can talk about, but, um, you know, that is sure. very much built into being in venues and mm-hmm. just part of the culture. And what is your relationship with with that side of things?
1: I am not, I feel like I'm not good at balance. Um I think I'm like very, I'm very like habit centered. So like if I get on the road and like I'm having a couple of drinks every single night, I'll get to like day 30 and be uh-huh. like, why am I so why do I feel so tired and terrible? Well, you've been drinking every night. Right. Um, and then I have to like reset, you know, kind of cleanse, not like in a gross purity religious <laughs> way, but just like hit the reset and like drink more water. Um, but I think it is really hard on the road. I think one of the hardest things for me is that I'm kind of an I'm kind of an introvert. And like I said before, I struggle with conversation. I struggle with like this anxiety that I'm not saying or doing the right thing. And and you end up being out amongst tons of strangers all the yeah. time yeah. and you're meeting strangers every day. And so I just often feel like very socially uncomfortable. And then, you know, right on cue, someone hands you a free drink. Mm. Like that yeah. is so hard. It's so hard to like, Keep your health, even though like nothing wrong with having a drink. And I think a ton of people find that that's a great way to like unwind, you know, before or after a show, but I think it can become a crutch. And it it does for me at times, especially when I'm feeling like socially awkward.
0: (laughs) It's funny that you, you know, have said this about the conversation. First of all, I'm very much enjoying our conversation, but also... Me too. When, that's great. When I when I saw you perform, I think in addition to loving the music, I think not only myself, but my bandmates were all like, you are so charming on stage. Oh, you thank you. Really great personality. That's very engaging. So it's funny to hear you feel like that's something that you struggle with. Thank you.
1: You know, my actual, my onstage chit chat is a result of some like overcompensating because when I first started performing. I had this, you know, I had this romanticized idea of like the poet troubadour and I'll just play my songs. I don't need to be posting on social media and talking, you know, when Mm -hmm. I'm on stage, I'm playing music. I don't need to talk to people. Um, And I quickly realized that that doesn't really draw people in um, for a number of reasons. And I play the harp, so I have to tune it Mm, in between songs and that takes a lot longer than a guitar would Mm -hmm. so you have to find a way to fill the time to keep people's attention from song to song to keep the set flowing so I started just like I would like actually script out what I was gonna say in between songs like in between these two I'll introduce the band in between this I'll like introduce this song and like talk about what it's about Uh and the more I did that the more I found that people actually like wanted to know the stories behind the songs Mm -hmm. wanted to like be there to engage with a fellow human being. And I was like, Oh, I guess if people just wanted to hear the music, they could listen to the record, but like, there's gotta be some added sense of connection based on the fact that we're here together in a room. Mm -hmm. And so now I kind of relish the opportunity to like go deep on some of the songs and, talk about my day, talk about myself, talk about life and like just give people a little bit more of myself than they would get from listening, you know, on Apple Music. I the, really- the flip side of that being is like you give more of yourself and it's hard.
0: Yes, um, you know, I can really hear just you talking about your experience over the years, how much you have sort of studied and adapted and changed, mm-hmm. whether it's your relationship to social media, your on,
2: mm-hmm. on-stage
0: on persona, or how you're yeah. interacting. Um, someone, I am not good at stage banter. and Really? No. And uh, somebody... Okay, I didn't
1: notice that at your show. I was very focused on your music.
0: Okay, that's good. I...
1: <laughs> well, because some people I think are bad at stage banter to a degree where it's distracting. Sure. Like you sure. seemed very comfortable on stage.
0: Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I, thank you. I Well, I mean, something that I think I used to get self-conscious that if I explain this song and I'm saying it kind of the same way each show, mm-hmm. that feels yes. strange to me. But, mm-hmm. you know, a comedian goes up on stage and they tell the same joke every night the same way and Mm -hmm. i think there was a time where i got kind of like oh it's okay to do that you know this is a different crowd and my bandmates are they understand the deal they don't care if they've heard it before yeah what is that little shame because i feel that twinge too really and i really do try to mix
1: it up but like you don't need to reinvent the wheel every show
0: right So, we have a second song from you. This is called Stop Bothering Me. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about this song?
1: Yes, this is um, the B side off of that um, Sweeter Than Strict Nine single that I put out with Coal Mine Records this past month. Um, I love this song because it just reminds me of all of my favorite girl groups. It's like If No Scrubs was written uh-huh. like in the late 60s. So, this is another song written by Ben Perani, and this actually, the B side is my favorite. (laughs)
0: Let's have a listen. Okay, that was great. It definitely could tell it was in the same uh, musical vein as Sweeter Than Strychnine, but mm-hmm. they go together really well. Uh, I love the sound of both Thank of these songs. Um, let's see. So, to our listeners, you know, before a guest comes on the show, I will ask them, you know, what are some things that you want to talk about? And mm-hmm. one of the things that you had mentioned that I don't think we've touched on very directly yet is, is this bullet point so, social justice and health. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that topic.
1: I think that's kind of what I was referring to as far as like, um, we all feel paranoid that we're not doing enough and we're not going to make it. But I think it's just so much more hard if you come from a marginalized identity. And like, um, how do I live my life and approach my work from an anti-capitalist Feminist, womanist, pro-black lens. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's really, really hard because our entire economy is so extractive. It's designed to take resources from take resources and exploit people and give the power to just a handful of, of powerful people at the top. And I think mm-hmm. the music industry is no different. And we see it in all in big ways. Like, you know, the fact that you used to be able to make back the money from making a record on like selling records Mm -hmm. and now the bulk of people's listening is is from streaming, which pays next to nothing. So, the work of recording is no longer seen as work because it's not compensated. It's, um, seen as like, I guess, the price of admission to the real work, which is touring. Yeah. Um, and touring is much more grueling than recording. Um, the margins are really small. Mm-hmm. You sacrifice your health, like, like we've been talking about. And like the more you're able to tour, the closer you'll get to making a decent living. And that's a really dangerous balance. And, I, and I'm firmly of the belief that, like, it's so easy to say in the abstract, like, Black women deserve to rest, you know, Artists shouldn't have to kill ourselves, literally kill ourselves, sacrifice our health and our well-being, drinking every night, being out on the road, working like dogs every day. Like we shouldn't have to do that. But when it comes to me, I'm like, well, I want to do anything I can to advance Mm -hmm. my career. Mm -hmm. But that goes against my values. My values are that I'm a human being first and I'm a woman and I'm a black woman and I deserve to live well and live a long, healthy life. Mm -hmm. And so the goals that I have for my career at times feel like they're at odds with my goals for myself personally and my goals for how I want the world to be. Like if, if I had a daughter that was doing this,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I would tell her like, yes, you have to work hard, but you matter more than the results, than the streaming numbers, the money, whatever it is. And so sometimes I have to figure out how do I square my political values and my you know my sense of myself as like a spiritual embodied person with my goal to like be successful and have my music reach a wide audience and i feel like that's that's my work as an individual that's one of the ways that i'm going to be able to contribute something to the world that's more than just my songs it's by like living a life that's focused on freedom and not just the acquisition of wealth yeah. you know i have to be willing to say no to certain opportunities prioritize what's most important to me as like the political project of my life and be able to share that with other people. Like we don't have to take these working conditions. We can, we can stick together and ask for more. We can demand to be treated with respect. You know, like that's scary to do in the music industry. You have to, you have to be so nice. You have to accept any opportunity that comes your way. You have to shake the right hands. You have to be seen as likable you, you're not supposed to rock the boat, blah, 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 blah. But like, that's not how I want to live my life. And so I'm still figuring out what that means for yeah. me. What are, what are my boundaries as far as like, am I gonna you know, play the game and sacrifice some of my mental health to promote myself and market myself and, and work maybe more than is healthy? Mm-hmm. And are there times where I draw the line and I say like, you know what? It might be helpful for my career to do X, but I'm going to do why yeah. because I'm a human being.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. And that's, that's, those are ongoing decisions. Yes. Every single day. Right.
1: It's wild. I feel like you have to, it's so fast paced, you know, like you're, you, you think up a song and then you're suddenly you're in the mode of recording. Suddenly you're trying to promote it and you can go months and months and realize like, am I choosing to do Each of these things that I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Did I choose to go on that tour? Did I choose to market my music this way? Did I choose to present myself that way? Or is it just what I thought people wanted? I think I'm getting more and more conscious uh, about my decisions, which is a good feeling, but it hasn't always been that way.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, I like how you posed those questions. This has given me a lot to think about, actually. This conversation? Yeah. You should be a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's uh, pivot here, if that's mm-hmm. okay. I would love to talk to you about, so you host a podcast. Can you tell yes. us about your podcast? Yes. Um, it's called Basic Folk.
1: And I am the guest host. The lead host is Cindy Howes, my dear friend from Pittsburgh. Um, she's actually from Massachusetts, but she's a, she's a Pittsburgh local now. And we are hosted on the, the Bluegrass Situation podcast network. Uh-huh. And it's, a. I mean, it feels like a very new venture for me. I started hosting last year. Cindy's been hosting it for a number of years now. And she interviewed me in 2019 or 2020, um, around the release of my last album, Vanity. And I just felt kind of like, I feel now that like, oh, these questions are going deeper. Like this person is like really paying attention to the music and like, is really causing me to like unearth some of the layers of something that I created and thought I already knew well. Um, and we just had such a great conversation, and then she asked me to come on and like guest host a few episodes. And I'd never hosted a podcast before, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not—I'm not a journalist, and I also like didn't know how to record myself. Like I had to, she had to teach me like here's how you set up a mic, like here's how we organize our files, like all of that stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so I just jumped into it, and it really tickles a part of my brain that doesn't get tickled that often, which is where I get to like dive deep on a topic, mm-hmm. do the research, and then like talk and riff um, with another musician. So it's super fun. Um, we, get, we, we interview like broadly folk musicians, uh-huh. but that can mean everything from Americana to rock to indie to soul. Like there are a lot of different artists that can kind of fall yeah. under the folk um- umbrella. And it gives me the chance to like, not only ask like deep questions, but also silly questions. Like we do a lightning round at the end. Uh And I ask people about like, who's your celebrity crush and what kind of candy do you like? And sometimes you get surprising answers.
0: The final question I have, this is a question for you, is how do you define success for yourself with music?
1: Success for myself will be that it is now, and I think it will be in the future, that like my greatest successes belong to me and are defined by my core values. So like, it would be great to win some awards. It would be great to make some money. I think I deserve all those things, but most importantly, like I want to have memories that I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to be healthy. I want to have like, I want to, I want to be like, Oh, I wrote, I wrote this goal down and I did that goal, you know, Mm -hmm. so that it's nobody else's definition. So like one, like micro thing is that
0: I've always, when is this coming out? I don't know yet. Probably. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to
1: keep the name, I'm going to keep the name private because it hasn't been announced yet. Like when I, I've always been about like manifesting kind of not in the like sort of magical sense, but just like, it's good to call your shot because Uh then when you make the shot, it's better. Like I've always wanted to play this one music festival in California. Like since I was a college student, I used to go there as a fan and I was like, okay, one day I want to play Uh And like this year I got invited to play Uh and just knowing that I had like said it out loud 10 years ago and now I'm doing it. It's like better than all the money in the world. Just knowing that it was my, like it was something that was my dream. It wasn't anybody else's dream. It wasn't like an award someone gave me. It was like, I wanted this thing and I got it. (laughs) That's, that's success for me. And like not being scared of not being scared. Like freedom Uh, is it, of anything. Like a lot of times I'm like, Oh, I'm scared that I'm not doing the right things. I'm scared that I'm not pleasing the right people. I'm scared that I'm not, I'm scared that something is going to go wrong. I'm scared. It's all going to be taken away. I'm scared of what people think of me. Like freedom from that Uh is success. It's amazing. I'm working on it.
0: Okay. I want to thank Lizzie No for her time. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. And I hope you guys are doing well. Visit musictherapypodcast.com for previous episodes and upcoming events. Music Therapy is hosted by Jessica Risker, produced by Sullivan Davis of Local Universe, and engineered by Joshua Wins in Chicago. We'll be back next week. Peace and love until I see you again.